I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer extraordinaire Brandon Newman. Brandon, how you feeling? I feel good. I'm worried that you're pushing through not feeling great, but you look good. I, I, I don't feel great. I feel like, remember that Ed Reed <laughs> halftime speech? I'm hurt. Don't ask me if I'm okay. Hey. <laughs> like, Oh come, man! Come, no one should be allowed to go to Las Vegas and New Orleans in the same weekend, uh, or back to back. Yeah, right. Like this, two nights connected to one another by the tissue of being the weekend. It should be illegal. And instead, I decided a Taylor Swift concert on Saturday night in Vegas should be, or Friday night in Vegas should be followed up by a bachelor party night on Saturday in New Orleans because I'm a smart person. Okay, Mike, as someone who fell asleep watching the games this weekend and like woke up like completely lost but just on my couch how was sleeping this weekend for you honestly the worst part about it is now that i have all these sleep wearables like i got the aura ring and started using that to track my sleep one just seeing clearly how not great that was it gives you colors and numbers associated with your sleep Uh... score and the numbers were very sad but it also tells you because you know how sometimes after a night out you'll go out and people ask you like oh what time did you get home or what time did you go to bed unless you were texting someone like maybe a significant other at that time and you have that time stamped a lot of times it's easy to lose track of time and not remember and so I can talk myself into having gotten home and gone to bed a lot earlier than I maybe did there's no running from this now this freaking ring tells me exactly when i fell asleep and so seeing that i got home at 3 30 on saturday night sunday morning (laughs) and got to sleep then for like a cool four and a half hours before i went to the airport makes me feel a lot worse about myself and somehow compounds the hangover you hit that bachelor party for a hot 22 hours 20 oh Brandon, I got the notice to check in for my flight out of New Orleans while I was on the plane into New Orleans. 
that was how little time I was actually in that city. Oh, uh, man. So, yeah, definitely not injured, but playing hurt today, and people should know that. Regardless, we got a great show for you guys. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and a review, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel so you can see the pain behind my eyes. We do have a great show. Uh, very excited. We have got... Plenty to get to a full review of the Taylor Swift concert that I was at that we told mm. everybody about on Friday. Full rundown. It was the third show that she had done on the Eras tour so far. So we're getting a hot and fresh out the kitchen. Ooh. We've also got roses from the weekend that include the phrase the LeBron James of feet and our some shining moments <laughs> bracket moves on to the Elite Eight. And Brandon, speaking of Elite Eights. Probably where we got to start today, uh, because while I was in the midst of all of that drinking and carrying on, I was with a bachelor party full of UConn grads, so we had cleared out a lot of space to make sure that we were watching the weekend, and man, oh man, as we have the men's final four set on college basketball side, it seems like this thing is UConn's to lose right now. Like, Four seed, baby. The first final four in NCAA history without a one, two, or three seed is not what I expected going into this tournament. I don't think what any of us really expected going into this tournament, but it's exactly what we got. We Coming off of the first Elite Eight without a one seed ever, like let that sink in, ever. In the, in the NCAA tournament history, Brandon, as you like to talk about ESPN facts, that one ain't an ESPN fact. That's, <laughs> that's what I call a Wilt Chamberlain fact. Like any time in the NBA when someone winds up either breaking a Wilt Chamberlain record uh, or yes. getting within like earshot of that, you know what they've done is legit because those records are all insane, so insane that we borderline don't believe some of the accomplishments. Absolutely. That's where we're at with ever when it comes to no one seeds involved in the Elite Eight. So now that we've gotten this Final Four that we've got set up with on one side, San Diego State getting set to face nine-seed FAU, Florida Atlantic dunking at the buzzer on everyone's face or attempting to all the way to their first Final Four on one side versus the other side, Miami and UConn, where UConn at the mm. four seed is now the highest remaining seed in the tournament. Brandon, we're going to get a whole bunch of people strapping on their rubber gloves warming up the thermometer and trying to take the temperature of is this good for college basketball on the men's side or not when you've got a final four that looks that randomized this looks like on tiktok when they do the oh figure out like your all-time starting five and it has the little thing changing on your forehead that you swipe through that's how yes. random this final four seems on paper i know mike i as someone who was championing cinderella stories and, and the narratives and all the things that are going on. Now that I'm sitting here looking at a Final Four with a bunch of teams that I am not sure I care about that much. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, reaping what I sow. So it's interesting because this is what I've talked about in the past where all of the randomness of March Madness gives way to a jumbled setup like word soup of a final four or an elite eight this is to the umpteenth degree right this is i think the first time i saw it uh it was espn stats and info said that this is the first final four where three teams are making their final four debut since 1970 so you have fau miami and uh san diego state 
all making their Final Four debut in the same year. You've got San Diego State, who is the first team from the Mountain West to ever make the Final Four. I saw our friend Stormy Bonatoni point point out that in 2020, when the whole world shut down around March Madness, you had San Diego State was set to be like a two-seed in the tournament that year. So this, for them, is kind of... I, you know, continuing what that team never really got to finish. And you've got all right. these great stories of what we got to know. This tournament and this Final Four, I would argue, are incredibly college basketball because they require time and attention over this period to get to know people. And that's kind of what we've done. These Cinderella's have all stuck around long enough and were stories early on enough for us to kind of now have, I think, more of a vested interest than we would for a lot of teams in this position based on that. Because that's always the sell with college basketball when it was at its best, right? You had players that were sticking around for multiple years at a time. You got to know these core groups of players. You got to get heroes, villains, all the things in between that ended up making it compelling. So you could argue this is the most college basketball version of that inside the contained world that is March Madness. I don't know, Mike. I want to say that there's good basketball, but and there obviously is. Like Florida Atlantic's very, very fun to watch. But seeing them go up against just a very good defensive team uh, in the, in this Final Four against San Diego State, I, I I would be lying to tell you I'm excited to see that game. Well, and that's going to be the issue, right? This is the same thing that came up from the dunk contest in the NBA that you and I talked about where you had a guy come from the G League whose name I have already forgotten come out and win it. Do you remember do you remember the name of the guy who won the dunk contest offhand? Yes, of course. Uh, oh, it was, his Ma- it was Mac McClung. That's right. Okay. Yeah, the point is, to- it took me a second to think of, which yeah. underscored the point that I made then that I think applies now, which is you can have quality. Like what we got in that dunk contest was quality. And I think what we've gotten so far in this tournament in March Madness has been quality, right? You've had, with the exception of every game UConn's played, very close Mm. games across the board, right? You look at Miami upsetting number two Texas. That was a game where Texas led by double digits in the second half. Miami comes and claws their way the entire way back. We'll get to the ending of the Creighton and FAU game and the controversy around the call there. You've had excitement in the quality of these matchups. You've had some characters pop up along the way too, right? You've had guys that we've gotten to know, like Marquise Noel at Kansas State who got Mm -hmm. dropped. You had Drew Timmy with Gonzaga, which we talk about. A guy who stuck around a really long time in college basketball, became a national champion because of the facial hair and everything, became a character. I think was sort of... (laughs) Gonzaga people don't get mad. Drew Timmy should have been a Duke villain. He's perfect for it. He's straight out of central casting. He would have been so, so, so good as a Blue Devil for all of the things that we know the white Duke villain represents in college basketball. It's not saying that I think he's a bad guy. It's not saying that I don't like him. It's just saying he fits the exact prototype of frustratingly good white basketball player, and in his case, with a personality that stands out a little bit in the sport. Yeah, but I mean, for them to get embarrassed on the way out, it was anticlimactic because that UCLA Gonzaga game was a barn burner. Like that's why I feel like there was a lot of huge games that led us to this point that kind of fell fell off. Like obviously the UConn game was just like boring because of the oh. dominance there. But like there was just so many good games where like that UCLA Gonzaga game, I was on pins and needles. 
No, 100%. And, and I guess that, that's my overall point, right, is we've had quality like that in all these spots. But when it comes to capturing a large number of casual eyeballs, which is what you're looking for for these moments, like we had with the dunk contest, you didn't have stars to pull you in. You mm-hmm. might have eventually come in late because you saw, hey, this guy's going viral right now. Everyone's texting me about how cool these dunks are, but it wasn't going to get you to show up right away. And if you're a casual sitting around and watching and you look at the graphic and see these teams' logos on the Final Four, it might not be the thing that pulls you in right away. And I don't like being the ratings police. I don't think that's a useful exercise, especially for March Madness, because March Madness as a product has proven pretty unassailable. This has been another exciting year. Sure. As we talked about not really feeling as into a lot of college basketball season and not feeling like for long swaths of the season we knew who was a true number one because we had that sort of round robin of Houston and Alabama and Purdue and starting the season with North Carolina all these different teams at number one that proved pretty you know predictive when it came to what we saw in the tournament and all the upsets for those seeds so it might not draw you in but what we are getting has still been largely quality and the way it's set up now with your point how well UConn's playing who we know is highly ranked in all the deep stats the Ken Palm and everything you want to reference there they were a team a lot of people pointed at going into the tournament that said yeah for the last couple months of the season they've looked like one of the best if not the best teams in basketball and they've played like it absolutely boat racing everyone involved in the tournament so far according to ESPN stats and info through the first two months of 2023 UConn won 12 of its 14 games by at least 14 points and now you get into the tournament here they won their first four games by 22 and a half points it's the 10th tournament team to win their first four games by 15 or more points according to ESPN stats and info like they have been the one dominant sure thing so far in college basketball and they are a team that also has won more, considerably more, than a lot of the blue bloods in the top of the sport, right? Like when you look at what UConn has done since 1999, this would be their fifth national championship. That is more than Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Kansas in that time period. Like UConn's been a basketball power. We know it, but this team has also done it largely without capturing, I think, as much national attention as you would expect from that. So they're going to be very good if they're the champion at the end of all this, as would any of these teams but it doesn't have that same draw that a lot of these other places would have. Yeah, but I think we're in a weird spot college basketball in general. You got all the basketball purists saying that this is a terrible game. I can't watch it anyways. Obviously, we have people that we respect talking about how this whole system of one and done doesn't really lead to crowning the best basketball team in college basketball at the end of the day. So it feels very odd. Obviously, collegiate Athletics is in a weird spot anyways. So for year two into the NIL deals and all this money tampering and and illegal stuff going on, for us to get a Final Four with no number one seeds just kind of leaves a lot of us scratching our heads. Well, I think, and if you were a proponent of the new system and people who wanted to point out, like a lot of us did, that, hey, while we've certainly seen a lot of the same powers in recruiting. We talk about this in college football all the time. The same teams are recruiting very well that have always recruited very well. The top 10 mm-hmm. and the top 15 don't really look a ton different in those places. What you got during college football season was a bit more parity across the board. We saw some new names enter the chat. We saw some new teams make their way to the college football playoff in recent years. We saw a team like Tennessee capture a lot of the imagination during the course of the year. That's not to say those things are all direct attributes of this process. Much the same way we can 
can point at a team like Miami, who in college basketball is sort of going to be looked at as the poster for this new era, right? Where you had this offseason last year where that team was looked at as one with everything surrounding uh, Nigel Pack, who transferred over from Kansas State, and what went on with Isaiah Wong, that you know, will they, won't they, about was Wong going to leave because Pack got right. a bigger deal in NIL reportedly than he did, that two-year $800,000 deal that was a dominant summer headline that gave way to a team that won the ACC in the regular season and now is going to their first Final Four as a program under Larinaga. You can look at it and say, well... Parity is generally one of the things fans talk about as being a good thing in sports, so would this not be parity? The only reason I would push back on that is because it's the NCAA tournament, and you referenced Nicole Arbach, writer over at The Athletic, who tweeted out, this tournament is not designed to give you a true champion or the best possible champion. The random, is, the random one-and-done nature of it does not lend itself to that. It lends itself to fun and chaos, which we've been given, and sometimes the results on the other side of that are going to look a little bit weird when once you get down to the last handful of teams. Yeah, but I also think that the whole narrative of people having fatigue over teams always being at the top, it's just fake fatigue. As a LeBron James fan and all the like fake LeBron James, like, is this really what you wanted? Did you really want to go into a Final Four for everyone who had Duke fatigue or UNC fatigue or Virginia fatigue over to Kansas fatigue over time? Did you want to walk in and see San Diego State and FAU play for the national championship? Did you want to see Miami and UConn? Obviously, I feel like that's more of like a not. This is Miami's first time there, but there was something about that Miami Texas game where it was like it was like two traditional football powers fighting. <laughs> like, well, we we know. recognize the logos for them, right? Yes. It's very different. Yes. Like FAU potentially playing for a national championship is wild to comprehend, even if we know they were a very good team in the regular season that people talked about. So I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that. I, I do think at the end of the day. I'm not going to look at it and say, like, yeah, it's from the outside looking in from a 30,000-foot view, it's not the final four that you'd like to sell to the outside world if you're college basketball going to market your sport. But that being said, they're the only two games left in town on the men's side. We know mm -hmm. March Madness as a product has done a good job, and I think always does, of sort of being a self-contained version of the season. You get the updates on the backgrounds on these stories for teams, especially ones that flash and pull upsets early on in the tournament. We get to this point now where we've got something that we can kind of like or something that we kind of know about all of these teams, and so it's a little easier for me to get invested for games that I'm absolutely already going to watch. So I don't really right. care what the ratings are going to look like. The games have been entertaining so far. It is March Madness. It is the one championship-level sport between men's and women's that are going on at this time, and so I'm going to be there. But I do agree with this idea that Nicole brought up, that, yeah, of course, like you've got to wave goodbye, much like we talk about this in college football. College football playoff expansion isn't about producing a better or more deserving champion. It's about including more people in the sport. It's about television dollars. It's about all these things. It's not going to meaningfully change who wins on the top level of that sport. Much the same with the uh, NCAA tournament in basketball. you got to wave goodbye to the notion that we are here to find the best way to crown a champion. This is pure, like, the height of sports entertainment. We're here to find the most entertaining way to do this humanly possible. And if we get a team like UConn that has had a claim to being one of the best, that makes a run and was underseeded and goes ahead and wins this, that's the cherry on top, but that's not the way this thing is designed. You also referenced in there, uh, and I wanted to go back to it, the Deer and Fox quote about how he can't watch college basketball. He was asked yes. after a game. 
Um, yes. If he had been watching Mark Madness, and he, he said in part, I kind of flipped through it. He said, I can't watch a full college game. It's hard. The shot making is not obviously the pro level. The refs are bad. A lot of the coaching is really bad. He got a lot of people really pissed off because he doesn't like their thing. Like, this is peak 2023 content conversations where if you haven't seen someone's favorite show, they gasp and they're horrified and you know no reason can do, even though there's way too much content out there. Like De'Aaron Fox just has a problem of content like everybody else. And in his mind, what he watches basketball for is not being fed by college hoops. And he's like the things he identified about not liking about the sport. Yeah, he's right about now saying this at a time where NBA officiating has maybe never been at a worse level is interesting, but Mm -hmm. this is collegiate athletics. If you strip away the fun of the tournament format, the histories and traditions and rivalries, the random chaos, what you do have is just worse basketball. The same way in college football, you just have worse football, but you've got it wrapped in all the other stuff. We found that out during the pandemic. When you take the rest of it away, you watch it and you just go, oh, most of these people aren't going to play professionally. They're not very good. They look like me and you out there. But isn't that one of the best parts about watching college basketball? It's not It's not like the amateurism. It's the actual appearance of amateurism out there on the court or the mix of elite and amateur and and that's why i have an issue with what De'Aaron fox is saying as a whole like he's never really been a fan of college basketball to begin with there was a reason why he was one and done in kentucky there's a reason why he chose to go to kentucky over all the places that he was able to go to at coming out of college as a, a highly uh, recruited uh, individual so for him to have a chance how many ever years removed from the thing feels like he's been in the NBA forever now at this point. But for him to get a chance to shit on something that he's always shit on, like, of course. Well, that's what I mean. He's he's at least consistent. And again, none of the reasons he gave are wrong. Like, basketball is a largely overcoached sport. It is one where the shot making is usually pretty poor. We just talked about it. One team moved on in San Diego State, I believe, winning a game with 56 points. Like, that's not cute for anyone to watch. That's That's a rock fight. So I like he's right in all that, but people are also aren't wrong for liking college basketball. There's a million other reasons why you can like that thing. Obviously, right. colleges come with the affiliation and the love for the school that you may have gone to or the conference that you root for too. There's oh, yeah. a million other things, but his points I don't think are inherently wrong. I do like that people are upset about it, especially now during March March Madness. Because well, like, yeah, he he poked yeah. the beehive during honey season. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I don't even know if that makes sense anatomically and with B stuff, but it sounded right. Honey, see, I was just asking Michelle the other day. I was like, would you say honey is from nature, although it's made from insects that are just in nature? Yeah. You say that? Insects are part of nature. But like trees produce sap just from being trees. Like bees have to work like bees to make honey. You yeah, they're part of and nature. Just... Okay. Although she then technically, the would like I guess we're not nature, so anything we make isn't nature. It's usually hurting nature. Like I think Ooh. nature exists around us. We've gotten a long way off the tracks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, anyway, uh, overall, I do think this March Madness has been entertaining and successful. Like, even if it's not a final four that you'd be able to sell to advertisers with a smile on their face, that's not why we do this. I think overall, again, 
You've had close games. You've had characters like we've talked about. You had, even recently, you have moments that are easy to digest also for national media, right? What we saw at the end of that FAU Creighton game where there was the foul call that ultimately provides the free throws that end the game. That's the conversation that we had in the Super Bowl with the holding that set up Kansas City on that ultimate drive. It's the same idea that we all get to debate from 30,000 feet where we look at that and say, yeah, it's the right call. It just sucks to have a penalty end a game. And in that moment, it ended the game and it made it everyone kind of go, oh, and let the air out of the balloon. It's the same but thing. I, I feel like the air was let out the balloon because it was Creighton versus FAU in the first place. Like I that's disagree. that's what I think. Like I think I think people cared. I think that the level of give a f was not there the same way. Obviously for the Super Bowl, we could. But I'm saying like the, the roots of who who's fighting for what. Like well, Brandon, comes in to, the, if you had been watching that game, you were invested. It was back and forth. True. It was very close. It was a tie game with six seconds left. Creighton looked great, and for it to be that good all yeah. that way, and then to end on a penalty sucks. Again, yeah. right call. I understand the official. Now, you can argue that it had been a physical game where that had not been called in many ways earlier in that game and for it to show up in that moment. But by the letter of the law, it's the right call. So, again, I wind up with the same take I had in the Super Bowl, which is I understand you calling it even if I hate that ending the being the thing that ends the game. And that right there, providing moments like that that can get people hot and bothered from far away. All stuff that's good, all stuff that makes sports at the generalist level something that we can enjoy. And I feel like March Madness has had a bunch of those things pop up throughout the tournament on the men's and women's side. I mean, the best thing that this Final Four, or excuse me, that this March Madness has given me was a picture of what um, Adam Morrison looks like right now. Like the fact that what we knew of Adam Morrison now looks like a version of Ryan Reynolds is, uh, is something. Well, and we got a couple more of those guys, right? We want to walk out here. It's story time. We got to know Malik Noel. We got to see the end of Drew Timmy's career. We got to have and experience all those things with guys that will eventually be the names that we burp out on a Levitard show segment when we're just sitting around naming 2020s (laughs) college basketball players that didn't end up going on to glowing or illustrious NBA careers. You need that. That's part of the meat and potatoes of what college sports are because you're right. It's just as much, hey, we want to see, oh, clearly that guy's an NBA player on loan to college. Look at how much better he is than those players based on comparison, Mm -hmm. but we also want to see the characters that end up taking over a tournament the way Malik Noel did that we become invested in who aren't the same height weight monsters who were doubted who were all the things that we love about sports like his story is quintessentially sports movie stuff and we love that stuff that's coated in sugar when it comes to college athletics especially and it gave us a bunch of that so I think it's been a really entertaining tournament even if it's a little bit of a wonky final four on the back end of it right now we'll continue to get to more of that uh, as we go along here I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. 
And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, we had a lot more going on than just college basketball this weekend. It's Monday on the show. We give out roses to the best performers of the weekend. Each of us gets two bachelor and bachelorette style. And uh, Brandon, I'll start us off uh, from this weekend and give out my first rose to Deion Sanders' cowboy hat. <laughs> Come on, not the hat. Yeah, it just it, <laughs> Deion Sanders, the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, went on a about a two-minute rant about single-digit numbers. Now, part of this is appreciating fashion. Part of this is appreciating that Deion Sanders understands and appreciates how important single-digit numbers are to the swag of high-level athletes. I've had this argument with a lot of people. Certain numbers are just faster numbers than others. Like... I don't know how else to say it other than there are certain players that when you see them dressed down in numbers in the 20s who are supposed to be fast guys, especially awkward, cumbersome numbers like 21, it all of a sudden makes me kind of downgrade their overall Madden score. It makes me wonder if there's something I'm missing. And so Deion Sanders appreciating that single-digit numbers should be worn by the best of the best, should be an attribute that you look for as part of a true baller. Totally understand that. He talked about it in more glowing terms. You know, old head terms where he's like anyone in their forties, we weren't given anything. We had to work for everything we had. Like, you know, he leaned in on all the stuff that makes old heads really smile to feel like they walked uphill two miles in snow, both ways to school type shit. But he's not the only one. Plenty of programs do the single digit numbers, meaning something, you know, I think it, um, at, uh, I think it was UTSA, they called it the Triangle of Toughness, where it was the numbers that were involved in the area code down in San Antonio that Ah. were the earned numbers on that team. Temple for years did that with the single-digit numbers, where it was their toughest players went from 0 to 9, and that was voted on by the rest of the team. The only thing I took umbrage with Dion was him singling out defensive tackles wearing 0 and talking about how that takes a number away from the faster guys on the team. And as someone who has campaigned for a long time since 0 became eligible for big guys to wear more single digits for 320 plus pound defensive tackles to be the ones wearing zero Deion Sanders Mm. is flat wrong about that he's a skinny guy hating on big people being great and that part of it I will not accept and I will not support Uh, he's got something there though Mike because there's something about the double numbers for the bigger jersey that makes you look a little thinner it's like the same thing you were talking about with the fast numbers the slow numbers like I'll say I'll bring it down to this way Big guys wearing horizontal stripes versus vertical stripes. Vertical stripes are always going to make you look a little thinner. And so will double numbers. To the point where I like a little double zero for a big guy. I I think there's not enough double zeros out there in the college football game. Well, I don't think you can legally wear double zero at this point in college football. And even if you could, I would not advise it. It's the end. Well, your point about horizontal stripes, more numbers is the horizontal part of it. Like I I maintain, I was asked the other day to rank the fastest Uh. numbers out there. And I think like five is the fastest number on the field. I think one, two, three, those are all fast numbers. But my sneaky entry into the party is always nine because I think nine's a great number for big people moving fast. Like you think about our former uh, teammate Kyle Rudolph wearing nine at tight end at Notre Dame. Slimming makes you look fast. On the D-line, our teammate Ethan Johnson wore nine. 
all of a sudden, again, you look pretty agile, mobile, hostile. Yeah, so I think great. it's a great number, and it signifies a round single-digit number can do a lot for a big guy going out there and making plays. And so I just think Dion's flat wrong about that, even if his hat and his appreciation of single-digit swag is on point. What he said, though, was right, though. If you're wearing a single-digit number as a big guy, you got to be him. And shouts out to uh, the late, great Lewis Nix, who was rocking a single digit, and he was, in fact, Hemothy. He was. I think Lewis is a big part of the spirit and the reason why I, I think of Zero needing to be worn by a big guy. So, obviously, rest in, rest in power to our boy, uh, making that one great. Brandon, that is my first yeah. Rose. Who do you got for Rose? Oh, well, Mike, LeBron James played basketball this oh, weekend. No. So, uh, I got to give my Rose to LeBron James, um, he came back, 19 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, came off the bench and did the powder move still, Mike, which I thought was uh, quite the power move for him to <laughs> do the powder coming off the bench um, in a loss against the Chicago Bulls, who they traded Patrick Beverly to, who did a little one of his Patrick Beverly shots over LeBron and, and, and mimicked him and did a little too small thing. But anyways, also, I feel like LeBron James is in the news as well. The Cavs on the backs of Donovan Mitchell, clinched a playoff berth for the first time without LeBron James since 1996-1997 season. So I feel like that that is uh, – well, for one, congratulations to Cleveland, finally. Sure. But, um, but LeBron James has moved on, Mike. And then lastly, one of the reasons why I want to give LeBron James uh, a rose tonight. After the game, he told reporters that two doctors told him that he should get Surgery that would end his play for the end of, for the rest of the season. He he would be out within surgery, but then he went and saw, as he said, the LeBron James of feet. Okay, and the LeBron James of feet told him that he should not get surgery, and that's why he is there playing, ready to help the Lakers make the playoffs this season. So shouts out to LeBron James of feet. Shouts out to LeBron James people getting LeBron James feet connected to LeBron James so we can get LeBron James out there. Listen, I know the, they lost to the Bulls as 118 to 108, but LeBron, without LeBron James' 19 points, how bad would that have been? You know? So, so shouts out to the King. This is a lot like LeBron passing Kareem in the game where they got dropped by Oklahoma City. Uh, like these moments where we're like, oh, LeBron's finally coming back, and ooh, it's bad still, uh, are that, definitely there. That. Yeah, but you are right. He gets a pass for giving us the phrase, the LeBron James of feet, and playing coy about it. I know Dave McMenamin tried to ask him what country the LeBron James of feet hails from, and LeBron <laughs> basically sidestepped all of that, refusing to name names on the doctor. But it did prompt the idea, Brandon, like, what are you the LeBron James of? I have always maintained that I am the LeBron James of sweating heavily on airplanes. I'm phenomenal mm. at it. I do it incredibly naturally. You could argue I'm the chosen one of that. I would also add I am the LeBron James of Dragon Ball Z sports references and comps. I think okay. I do that at a better level than anybody in the game. Uh, nice. And I would also throw, which we'll get to when I do the Taylor Swift concert review, I am the LeBron James of pacing my pee at big events. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. you, you're cognizant of that. Built different. <laughs> okay. I'm probably the LeBron James of ordering at a fast food restaurant. Um, I'm probably the LeBron James of uh, eating one big meal a day, but enough calories to consume, like how much you, you should eat in, in an entire day. Um, 
I'm a LeBron James of, of making my kids food. I'll tell you what, oof, boy, when, I, when I get to cooking, they're like, Daddy, <laughs> these tacos on point. So, anyways, uh, there's a bunch of other things I'm a LeBron James of uh, not being prepared for podcasts, but still doing them. Uh, there, there's just like a, a bunch of things that I feel like I can I can hold that that mantle to. Um, Rich Ornberger on Twitter, former NFL offensive lineman, said, I'm the LeBron James of knocking the corners of the fitted sheet off the mattress. That's a skill. And I am the LeBron James of seeing that I've gotten it partially up and not repositioning it back over the corner of the mattress and just letting it ride until it inevitably comes all the way up. Oh, man, that sucks. Um, I'm I'm the the LeBron James of angrily getting up in the middle of the night and pulling that sheet on and getting the corner. Go ahead. You do that in the middle of the night? Sometimes, sometimes. It's either that or I just completely let the fitted sheet become only on Michelle's side of the bit. That's fair. Matt Ufford, uh, one of my old bosses over at ESPN, I am the LeBron James of leaving wet laundry in the washing machine overnight. I give you a run for your money on that one. We could have a real LeBron Jordan debate between me and Matt on that front (laughs) because I am God's gift to forgetting my laundry in the washing machine. And then leaving it in the dryer for days on end, especially if it's workout clothes. I just end up pulling them out of the dryer when I need them and using that like a hamper. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to not get in trouble with my wife by just letting that conversation stay where you, where you left it. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, Shane Bacon says, I'm the LeBron of remembering to bring my kid a snack when I pick him up from school. The first question out of his mouth, and I'm always ready to go along with your food, dad's cooking food take. I do like that. I do like that because I'm always uh, – I prepare too much. And Michelle's like, no, like he he only needs one option because if there's more options, then he's going to choose the worst one. I was like, yeah, but, you know. I uh, I like this one from uh, Hating Ass Brian. Nobody handles their business at the Kroger self-checkout like me. No one. Ooh. Being a self-checkout all-star is underrated. That's up there with parallel parking. Because when you can do it in front of... It's one thing to be able to do it. But if you're there in the store and there's no line, it's not really a big deal. Same way if you parallel park down a street where there's nobody watching, congratulations, but it doesn't really give a damn. When there's a line of busy people behind you at the rush at the grocery store or you're parallel parking out in front of a crowded restaurant and there are people sitting outside watching that, when you thrive in that situation, that's the clutch gene. Okay, I like that. I like that. Actually, scratch everything I said. I'm LeBron James of small talk. In person, running wow. to a new person. Mike, I, 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 it's like I'm thirsty to be relatable. Like I, I jump to it and I won't stop talking to you. There's no father to my style of small talk. It'll be like whatever's in the present, what's going on right now, weather, news, sports, like animals. Like I, I'm the, I am the LeBron James of small talk in person. I'm the LeBron James of avoiding small talk in person. There were days where I'd be getting ready to go for a walk and I'd see my neighbors outside and I would straight up go back inside and wait for them to go back in their house so I could avoid having that interaction on days that I just wasn't able to do it. Okay, Mike. Uh, You got to ask our teammates about this and we can move on after this. But do you remember a training table back in the day at Notre Dame? Yeah. We had to eat with our coaches as well. So, yeah, and for anyone unfamiliar, training table is that separate athlete uh, dinner, food just for the athletes. We would have it in our football facility. They'd come over. They'd cater when we were done for practice. We would all go up and eat together. And, yes, we would be eating with mixed in with our coaches also. So, every now and then you would make a plate and then 
put it down at the table you're sitting at, and then you'll go back and get drinks because you have to get you have to get a different hands for for your drinks or whatever or whatever it was because I think drinks at the table for some reason I had my plate down and I went to get more food and I was coming back. LeBron James eating. Um, Mike, I'm not going to mention the coach's name the same way LeBron James won't mention who the LeBron James' feet is, but I saw a coach at my table eating who I was not ready to talk to. So, And everyone at the table looked at me and saw me like see the person and see the... <laughs> they were like wondering what's going on. I went back, made a completely new plate, and sat down somewhere completely different. I was not about to do small talk with this coach and... <laughs> The people Wait, at the why, table. Why were did you have to make a completely different plate for that? Well, I'm gonna go pick up the plate that's front sitting oh, there and be oh, like, "Okay, yeah, I get it." Like, now. I'm not gonna, yeah, I, I'm not sitting there anymore, and I need to go get new food. Hey, man, you know what? Sometimes that's conflict resolution. Again, as the LeBron James <laughs> of avoiding a small talk, I applaud your efforts there. Uh, at Gojo Show on Twitter, what are you the LeBron James of? You can also leave those in the Apple Podcast reviews or in the YouTube comments, and uh, we'll get back to that at some point. Uh, Brandon, my second rose is going to go uh, to Pittsburgh Penguins president Brian Burke, okay. who came out over this weekend and was asked to address what we had seen around the NHL. Um, a lot of the NHL teams uh, during these past couple of weeks had been hosting Pride Nights at their hockey games here. Yes. Nights showing and welcoming the LGBTQ plus community to hockey, trying to create an, uh, a welcoming environment for that group in this particular sport. And we had seen instead over the last few weeks a number of headlines that ended up popping up and taking center stage in this conversation about players that weren't participating in Pride Nights. Right. We had seen a number of lengthy statements coming out, um, including uh, James Reimer of the San Jose Sharks, Eric and Mark Stahl of the Florida Panthers, some teams not doing it all together, a number of Russian players citing recently changed laws in Russia about the promotion mm. of alternative lifestyles, I believe is how they have it phrased mm. over there. So guys who felt like their families might be in danger. And I want to sort of set that off to the side because that's, yeah. I, I think, a little bit further reaching and something I certainly understand the implications of a lot less when your family's involved in that way. But the other guys that we saw, we got the usual batch of guys citing religious reasons. And mm -hmm. I, I want to give this to Brian Burke because Brian Burke, who is of hockey, right? It was a player himself, is a Stanley Cup champion, has been the GM multiple teams. Like, he is of this sport. And he came out and said, he's like, I was also raised Catholic, and I don't understand what is conflicting about being a Catholic, but also saying this is a place for the members of this community to come and feel welcome and safe. He said, I don't mm. understand where along the way those became conflicting ideologies, because if you look and remember in all of the statements that we saw from players coming out and citing religious reasons, they said, I believe everyone deserves respect. I believe the men and women of the LGBTQ plus community deserve respect but apparently just not from me or I just won't be a part of this night. It never made logical sense. And among the many parts of this that were frustrating, that was one that was certainly there. And so for someone like Brian Burke to come out and say, and I think properly reframe this as a reminder, that these are just a few people that right. have stolen the headlines from this, but the overall message needs to continue to be hockey is a place for you. Whatever your sexual orientation, whatever your race, class, or creed, hockey is a place where you can come because we know that's a sport that hasn't always necessarily felt like it's been progressively on par with some of its other league counterparts. And so to come out and have someone like him 
put his stick in the ground and basically say, no, we, we are making sure and we are going to continue to make sure we send the message that this is going to be a place that includes you, a fan of, from this community who's been watching hockey, I thought was really important. I thought was Roseworthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to the NHL at all uh, for holding pride nights. Like, I think this is an important time to not just for the bottom line and the dollars, but letting everyone know that everyone is included and everyone is welcome to all sporting events. Right. Uh, We, we, for anyone that complaining about bringing politics into sports or anything like that, we see plenty of military appreciation nights. We see plenty of other things that have bordered on that for a long, long time here it's it's been a frustrating and confusing stretch of word salad pr laced statements of guys trying to cover up the quiet thing that they're saying loud that i hope goes by the wayside in favor of more people coming out the way brian burke did and continuing to lend support to something that's still important like i understand people want to act like we're past this but we are still at a time where being a person that comes from a community that has been traditionally disadvantaged or slightened or slighted or pushed to the outside having people open up their arms and say you're safe and you're welcome here that still matters these things are still important it's not just putting on a different colored jersey or having different colors inside the team logo for a night and so i thought uh that was rose worthy from brian burke uh brandon who's your final rose going to a lot less serious but still rose worthy in my world 21 savage Mm. 21 Savage, uh, the recipient of the Best Rapper Alive Award for the Year from Complex. Uh, Complex Magazine, obviously a a storied music, hip-hop platform, magazine, whatever the publication is. Uh, 21 Savage, after a year where he had a lot of features and was scattered around uh, spitting his verses on other people's albums until... Her loss, where he and Drake had a joint album together. Uh, 21 Savage wins Rapper of the Year. The last time he put out his own album was, I believe, it was 2019. It was I Am versus uh, or I Am Over I Was. And uh, he's been in and out of the news for good and bad reasons for a long time. But the fact that he is getting better as a rapper right now and was the highlight of it, the best Drake album that came out. I guess, the, so Drake put out Honestly never mind that we talked about on this podcast yeah. and it was not very good. And it wasn't received very well. But there was one song on that album, Jimmy Cook's, was featuring 21 Savage and Drake, one of the only rap songs of that album. And actually, ironically enough, one Complex's al- uh, song of the year. Now they have a whole album where 21 was kind of the the sell, the, the reason to come check it out, Mike. But for this quote alone is why I want to give 21 Savage a flower. He said, I just feel like a lot of people lose their spot trying to take someone else's spot. I'd rather just keep trying to outdo myself over and over and over again. And for us... In our first year of podcasting, doing this this way, and obviously trying to get an algorithm and, and get as much accolades as all the other podcasters talking about whatever on a daily basis, uh, weekly basis, wherever it is, we're constantly trying to uh, jockey for positioning. But I, it's a, it was a good reminder for me that just we have to just continue to try to do better day in and day out, and that's how we end up, you know getting whatever award someone wants to give us later down the road. But, you know, it's, it's about us evolving as well. I think it's a great point. Um, I think you also bring up a great point uh, about 
21 Savage on features. Because I was curious the other day thinking about this. Would he be someone you put in the conversation for best feature artist at this current juncture because i think over the years we've seen that be really important right we went through that stretch in the early 2000s where every time Ludacris was featured on a song you knew it was about to be a banger two chains at the height of his powers one of the best feature artists on planet earth and i was wondering if we had kind of moved past someone who is consistently dominant enough in that field to be identified like that like would 21 count as that would this be kind of a admission to that He's he's definitely put himself in a position to do so. Also, I do feel like being with Drake helps just because he's someone who everyone's like not really wild by, but everyone will always come check in. He's like a one seed in everyone's bracket. So everyone's going to just check in on it. And then when you come and see 21 or hear 21 and the most things that you're talking about after that, after you hear a song with Drake featured is 21 Savage, that goes a long way for the 21 Savage. So. I'd also be remiss, I realize, if I didn't mention the ultimate feature god, uh, Andre 3000, who anytime Ooh. he shows up on a track, you know is going to produce a Hall of Fame-worthy verse. Um, you mentioned... Yeah, he's top um, five, based on that alone. You uh you mentioned uh this uh previous winners, twenty twenty one uh was Tyler the Creator, uh for Best Rapper Alive, twenty twenty was Lil Baby, twenty nineteen and another guy who for a while obviously became wild problematic has done a bunch of dumbass shit, but the baby in twenty nineteen was as consistent yeah. a force on force on features, even if he was basically just talking about getting ahead in every single one of them. Well, uh push a T in twenty eighteen, so some of the recent winners of that. Ten years before that, Mike, two thousand and eight, Little Wayne. Like I feel like yeah. two thousand and eight, Little Wayne winning this award tries it gives validity to twenty one Savage winning it in twenty twenty two. I was gonna say two thousand eight, Little Wayne was the Carter three. Like that's that's where <laughs> we were. So right. that's the kind right. of uh, weight this thing carries. So yeah. those are roses of the week, uh, well deserved and well earned. There, Brandon, I I, I would have obviously spent my whole time in roses, waxing poetic, but since you led me there with. Uh, a great artist, and as I'm running on fumes here. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brother, like, there should be a whole separate rose category for what I saw at the Taylor Swift Ares tour, man. Okay. Okay, so, okay, 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 okay. You were there with your family, and I, I don't want you to set it set it up perfectly, but like, how do you ingest something like the the fact that this is your first Taylor Swift concert at all, dude? (laughs) 
<laughs> Mike thought I was frozen. Oh, I thought you were frozen. No, I, just, <laughs> I know. I know. I really, I really did just want to lead you into that. But like, I am very. <laughs> They're very interested. Oh my god! You, you hit me with the trick my dad does to our family on Facetime all the time, where he'll pretend he's breaking up and then just not move his face for a little while, and then try and clown all of us. Your dad energy is so strong, right there, dear God. Oh, god. Um, now that I've recovered from that, yes. So what I will say about digesting this concert: it was the third concert on Taylor Swift's Eras tour. Her first weekend was in Glendale, Arizona. The second weekend was in Las Vegas, and we got her the first yes. night on Friday. I was there with my mom, my brother my sister-in-law and my sister and what I can tell you start to finish about this experience the the number one takeaway this fan base is some of the nicest most supportive people Stop. I have ever been around in a group Brandon it Stop. was Brandon I was so first timer a lot of people spend the entire year getting specific outfits ready for this concert, wearing things that are either references to past albums, references to the many inside jokes that her fan base has. Everyone's decked out. I've never seen more sequins in my entire life. And walking through the Delamar, uh, the um, not the Delamar, um, the Delano, the hotel that was connected to where you could walk over to Allegiant, it was yeah. degenerate sports gamblers on one side. And then a bunch of girls anywhere between 14 and 75 wearing more sequins than I had ever seen. And it is the most welcoming group of people I've ever been around. Everyone is just hyping each other up. Everyone is just yes queening each other. I was in the elevator, Brandon, and I saw three girls get in that all had matching outfits. I said, oh, man, like, I feel underdressed. You guys crushed this. And one of them looked over at me, went onto her wrist took off one of the friendship bracelets that she had made for this concert and gave it to me. And later, when I saw that same group of women inside the concert, they gave one to my brother, who is not a big-time Taylor Swift fan going in, but when he picked me up from the airport today, was listening to Willow because he was so touched by the spirit, still wearing his friendship bracelet, since in one of Taylor's songs on um, You're, on, uh, You're On Your Own Kid from the latest album, one of the yeah. lines is, so make the friendship bracelets, take this moment and take it, like... They went the extra mile wow. with that. So I had the literal olive branch expended to me by this fan base to set the tone for my night. Incredible. Okay, wait, wait one second. Wait one second. Because this is what people usually say about Notre Dame fans. Yes. They come, they come on campus. They experience the tailgates. They're like, I was so surprised. I'm ready to say F you. And they're like, hey, come get a brat. Come get a beer. Come get a cigar. And you're telling me that it's the same level of niceties and uh, what it was, chivalry in a Taylor Swift concert, it is a Notre Dame football game. Was It was remarkable. It just every step of the way, everyone was going out of their way in a situation where it is big crowds, lots of people, tons of lines, tons of slow moving, an easy space for people to get frustrated. Everyone was just overcome by the spirit. It, also, second shout out here, Allegiant Stadium. You are going to struggle to find a place that makes getting into and out of a game environment easier than that. Being able to walk across a bridge from the strip instead of sitting in traffic after that game was a godsend. If you are wow. going there to see a game and you're staying at a hotel over near the strip, you can walk to Allegiant and it makes it infinitely easier to get into and out of the concert. And so wow. the whole experience and the things around it were great. The concert itself, brother... <laughs> The way I've described it to people is that was as much a concert as it was a Broadway show. You could legitimately run that on Broadway, sell tickets to it, 
and it would do numbers because it is telling a story the entire, there is no hair out of place the entire show. Everything's got a purpose. There's always something visually stunning for you. There's always something that adds to the storytelling of a lot of these songs. The dancers absolutely make this thing sing. The overall attention to detail on this show that again is 40 plus songs a night, three plus hours a night, 53 shows over the course of the year. That workload is insane, Brandon. We talked about how J.J. Watt was loving this thing up, really idolizing the competitor in Taylor Swift, saying she's not taking breaks out there. She's going through this and doesn't miss a beat, Brandon. Everything in this had to be so carefully rehearsed. She's diving into a hole under the stage. She's constantly being lowered and submerged. There's a million outfit changes. There's a million set changes. And all of it was done flawlessly to create what was a visual spectacle more than a concert. What was it like seeing her for in person for the first time since at practice? Uh, it was it was so weird, Brandon, and we always do this with like sports versus uh, musician brain. Yeah. Every step of the way walking in there, my family and I kept looking at each other and go, all these people are here to see one person. Like that's mm. what you get in music that you don't get in sports. Like people came to see us, people came to see the team, but you were right. one of 22 people on the field, one of 11 that the home team was rooting for, and you and I weren't big time players that played glamour positions. So right. you didn't get that same level of adoration. And maybe some of our more famous teammates, right? You know, what Manti went through at the height of his, you, you can touch some of that feeling, but to see right. what she meant to that many people and for her to go out and deliver and it matter enough to her, like we always talk about that. The output shows, like when you go to the thing like the Combine, you're showing that it mattered enough for you to show up and do things the right way there and to be prepared for that moment. The rest of this, I mean, obviously she's paid a shit ton of money for it, so that part matters too, but like there's an attention to detail that's just second to none in this process that's insane. Did you cry in how many times? So, great question. Actually didn't cry. Um, wow. was over. So I saw on TikTok at the show I was at, there was a state. I did get chills a couple of times, and one of them was okay. after, um, where, um, she sang Love Story. And in that song, at the end of it, it's supposed to be a kind of like a Romeo Juliet thing. And at the end, the big line is, He dropped, he, uh, is it yeah, in my head? dropped to the ground and pulled out a ring and said marry me Juliet you'll never have to be alone and there's a TikTok video of a guy in the crowd timing that up and proposing to his girlfriend at that moment and as someone who's generally not a proponent of live proposals in stadium right. proposals this is the exception that is the exact right place in the exact right time to propose to your significant other that will have a 100% hit rate especially if your significant other is a Swifty do you think they have someone lined up every night to get proposed to? Like, they have to, right? I, I would hope that someone with how big of an event this is would have that planned out every night. So yeah. that would be the smart way to do business. I will say, too, her team and dancers, musicians, everyone there, phenomenal. I found out this fun sports crossover fact. So one of her backup dancers is a guy named Cameron Saunders. And okay. I looked out there, and like he's, he's like a, a bigger, like young guy. And he like he had almost like D lineman energy to him, and we were amazed watching him out there. Big smooth mover. Like if you were reading this like combine stats, it would be smooth mover, flexibility, like multi tool mm. player. Did a lot of different things on stage. His name is Cameron Saunders. His brother is Kalen Saunders. 
uh, the defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. Wait a minute. Oh, and sorry. And he he uh, he signed with the Saints now, so he is technically a New Orleans Saint now. Okay, but okay. the NFL defensive tackle. So incredible athletic genes in that family, but dynamic as all hell between the two of them. Listen, at one point in time, my scouting report said extremely nimble for his size, and I just I love to see it in other people. It was it was a beautiful thing to see. My brother was in awe the entire time. Again, my brother is sort of the outsider coming in, wasn't a real big Swifty, and he was even in awe of the production and in awe of how much this all came together in the way that it did. And speaking specifically to a lot of people's question, which is like, what was your favorite song? What was your favorite era of her albums? I would say this. Of the new songs, Mastermind has been my favorite. I think it's the best closing song to an album she's ever had. And it should have, I thought, been the last song. The last song ended up being Karma, which was great. It was a ton of fun. I thought ending with Mastermind would have been the right decision. Thought it would have been a little bit cooler, but that's fine. That one, and then she played our song. She plays two surprise songs uh, every night. Two ran usually like acoustic, a little more dressed down. And nice. the second night, she had Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons come up and sing uh, Cowboy Like Me, which was really cool. Brought out a guest for that. But my that's night, cool. she played our song from her debut album, which a lot of people had talked about. Hadn't been played the first weekend of the tour. Wasn't played the second night. It wasn't given a lot of love. And so... A reminder that she is listening. She's got some, you know, she's got plenty of love ah, and respect for yeah. debut. And getting to hear one of the first Taylor Swift songs that really made its way into people's hearts, dressed down acoustic in that concert was really awesome. But the best era, Reputation, had big energy. It was Ooh. a ton of bricks. It was dark. It was sexy. It was brooding. It was awesome. So those would be my yes. uh, my my superlatives from the concert there from the musical standpoint. But overall, it was an incredible experience for anyone that's getting a chance to go. You're gonna love it, uh, you know. As someone, I, I don't have another Taylor Swift tour to compare it to, but even people that have been to other ones seem to think this is a cut above. But you're gonna love it. How did your dad do with Jackson? He did great, actually. Uh, okay. My dad's got a my dad's got an overwhelming amount of patience, and so as Jackson's making the transition to solid foods, we're making some ground up there. Pappy's done a phenomenal job. Him and uh, my brother-in-law Ben, who was up there. You know, going and, and, you know, at some point, him and my sister, I'm sure, are going to think about kids. And so he was getting reps early on. So Uncle Ben, the rice man, and my dad both did a stellar job over the weekend. <laughs> the rice man. Okay. I, but I am glad to hear, Mike. Are you, are you running back to another Taylor Swift concert? I feel like I know the answer to that. Is the outfit going to be a little bit different the next time around? I think I'm going to try and get a more Taylor Swift specific shirt. The next time around, like there's a couple that she wore in the concert that I think I could probably find somewhere. The lines for merch, that was the one thing I couldn't do. I'm a huge fan. I'm not going to wait in a 400 person line for merch. I'm not good. I just, Mm. I, I don't have that in me. I've ranted and raved on this show about my aversion for lines in almost any setting. And this just wasn't going to be it. My time was going to be better served. Getting to my seat, getting drinks in. Like I said, the LeBron James of holding my pee in an event. Shout out to Nora yeah. Princiati who came on this podcast and gave me the advice to control that. Got my drinking in early, hit a big bathroom break before the show, did not pee once, did not leave my seat once during the three plus hours of that concert. Nice, Mike. Yeah, that, that's, I'm, the way Nora broke it down, I was like, oh, like, I hope Mike is taking notes because, like, she's, she's giving you game. 
Oh, it, it was it was incredible advice, and I have passed that along. As the messages have poured in from friends of mine who are going to see her later on in the tour, I said, make sure you wear comfortable shoes because you're going to be standing a lot. Make sure you have a drink at your seat. Use it judiciously because your throat's going to get dry. You're not a trained vocal performer like her who's been preparing diligently for months physically to get ready for this concert tour, which like their approach to it, J.J. Watt was 100% right, has to be like almost marathon training. I, all me and my family mm. could talk about, like, you know, my brother played college football, my sister played, uh, my sister-in-law was a track runner, my sister was a college swimmer. All we were talking about after was, what does the recovery process have to be like for the backup dancers on that show? for Taylor how do you go about mm. that vocally I would love to get a chance to talk to one of them and just hear from the inside what the physical process is like in addition to what you're going out there and doing as a performer because there is an element we've seen in sports how how recovery science has become such a bigger and bigger part of that I feel like they've got to approach this tour in the same way because I was exhausted after one night of standing and singing in the crowd they have to do that two nights a weekend 53 times over the course of a year that's what I was going to say, Mike. As a patron, when do you sit down during one of those concerts? Like, when do you sit? A couple of the slow songs. Um, okay, like like everyone, like because obviously at church or mass or wherever you go, like you're cued to sit. Like, are, is it like, are you frowned upon for sitting? No, like, I, I think it's everyone's got to do whatever you have to to get through it. Be cognizant of the people around you. You know, if there's people sitting, you know, if people were chilling and sitting down behind me, I tried to kind of get out of the way because I was big and I was in front, so I didn't want to block people. But that's the other thing. Again, you weren't shamed for any of that. If you needed to sit down for a little bit, so be it. Do your thing. Again, welcoming and loving community. So big shout out to the Swifties. Big shout out to Taylor Swift and the entire crew there. It was uh, an experience, a true experience of a show. I want to speak for everyone here at Gojo. Our entire staff and our listeners as well. I'm glad you had a great time. <laughs> Appreciate that, Brandon. Uh, but that's not the only singer that I have in my life. Uh, the other one I get to ask on a daily basis is an important question. Uh, do you know what time it is, Brandon? You know I do, Mike. I'm sorry this isn't Taylor, but this is how stealing. You ready? Circling, 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 circling your head Contemplating everything you ever said Now I see the truth and not a doubt A different moment than your eyes and I'm out See you later I see your fantasy You wanna make it a reality, baby And go see inside, inside of our heads And yeah, it's over You see that this that and the third Decisions to hide I'll take you on Headstrong to take on anyone I know that you were wrong Headstrong, you're headstrong Back off, I'll take you on Headstrong to take on anyone I know that you were wrong And this, that, and the third I can't give everything Oh, man. As someone who just spent a lot of their day listening to Linkin Park, hearing Trapped <laughs> back in rotation, I, as I've gotten back into working out more and more, I've gone back to the well on a lot of the songs like alt-rock, new metal, even some heavy metal from middle school that really hit back then. We were working in the golden era of hype songs, and Headstrong was absolutely one of them. 
Bro, 2002. I could probably say that and like Ever Evans or Ever. I can't say Evanescence. But Evanescence, like that may be why I got a scholarship. Just like that amount of heat getting pumped into my system before I went out and tried to hit people. I say people are trying to like. I remember when we um, when we went through the Shikari Richardson stuff and people were trying to display the idea that marijuana was maybe a performance enhancer. No, but early 2000s rock absolutely was. You should have <laughs> tested us for that. I, I mean, headstrong head to take on anyone. Like going into high school. Oh. Come on now. Yeah, no. So so many R4s on kickoff broke bones busting the wedge with that song coursing <laughs> through their veins. There's not a doubt in my mind. If you uh, it, all of a sudden found yourself doing 100 on the highway while listening to this, uh, make sure you pull over safely and then download, <laughs> subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and thank Brandon for getting you hype as fuck for the rest of your day. Um, Brandon, speaking of hype, let's get to this. Um, the home stretch of our Some Shining Moments Bracket Challenge yes. is in the works here. We are down to the Elite Eight. So how this is going to go, the cadence for this week, for anyone that's missed it, we ranked 32 top moments in our estimation from the last year, March to March. We seeded them in a 32-team bracket, and then we had them play against each other. Moments from sports, music, television, pop culture, all jumbled up and put into this bracket. We are down now to the Elite Eight. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have the Elite Eight voting... Uh, the polls are going to be attached. As always, democracy reigns. You, the listener, are going to vote on our Twitter account, at Gojo Show. It's going to be attached to the morning's podcast on the timeline. And how we're going to do it is we're going to put the polls up for the Elite Eight on Monday this week. We're going to put the polls up for the Final Four on Tuesday of this week. We're going to have that championship matchup set for Wednesday's show. And then Thursday, we're going to do the voting for the championship matchup. So we'll have our champion crowned on Friday before we get started with Final Four weekend in real-life basketball land. The Elite Eight matchups are as follows, Brandon, in the North region, the sports region. We've got the three-seed Kelsey Brothers going up against the four-seed World Cup Final, an absolute battle of titans. These are probably two that were a bit underseeded and are performing uh, the way that people would have expected. The World Cup Final, I think, is the Yukon Huskies of this bracket, potentially. As far as a four seed that should have been higher, I like that. I like that. And as, I'm as someone who's watching Ted Lasso right now, I'm uh, I'm pulling for the World Cup fire final. Oh hell yeah, Brandon! Welcome to the tri- welcome to the tribe. Um, the East region, uh, the music region, we've got the three seed Rihanna Super Bowl halftime show pregnancy announcement going up against the Oliver Shane Hawkins uh, and Foo Fighters tribute to his late father Taylor Hawkins uh, at the tribute concert. Uh, been a real pull at the heartstrings one. These are two mm. unbelievable contenders. This is going to be a hell of a battle between the two. In the South region, uh, movies and television, we had the number one seed, the slap at the Oscars, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, going up against the two seed, Top Gun Maverick. To- Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Top Gun Mavericks had a lot of push on social, a lot more than I expected. I wonder if the time and the failure of Chris Rock's stand-up to capitalize and revitalize the slap as a pop culture moment is affecting some of this. Listen, the only way I'm watching Top Gun is if it wins. So, uh, oh. at least just, just at least these this matchup they doesn't have to win the whole bracket. But lots at stake here, people. Lots at stake. And in the West region, uh, <laughs> the other region, uh, we have the one seed Elon Musk buying Twitter. 
going up against the four seed, the loss of Queen Elizabeth uh, for biggest uh, moments. Again, these aren't best moments. These are biggest yeah. moments because we understand mm -hmm. a person passing away, not a best thing, but an incredibly important big moment. We will also have updates in the middle of this week as we tabulate Brandon's paper bracket in our NCAA March Madness <laughs> Challenge. We will update you on who from the people, the 400 plus of you that played in the bracket with us are currently leading right now. And we will update Brandon who couldn't be bothered to enter with the rest of us uh, between the two of us who is in a position to lose our bracket challenge and have to redo pro day at Notre Dame where Brandon if we're keeping to uh, if we're keeping track here also owes us a Krispy Kreme challenge run at some point in the near future as well so it could be part of your training if you lose Brandon uh, yeah and also I've, I, as a producer I've been trying to find a way to to punch these numbers and get an answer it's 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 very hard it's very hard to do this retroactively. Huh. How about that? At Gojo Show on Twitter is where you guys can vote. Brandon, let's get to that. Um, some news out of the world of Major League Baseball, and we talked about the uh, moments of sports that are covered in sugar that we always appreciate. We got one of those, the recorded uh, camera footage of the New York Yankees, given their top prospect, uh, Anthony Volpe, the news that he is going to be up in the show, up with the main team at shortstop with the New York Yankees, coming off of spring training. He's a 21-year-old uh, who was the number three prospect in Major League Baseball, according to ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. Um, he was a guy that came out of Del Barton School in Morristown, New Jersey, uh, as the 30th Ooh. pick in the 2019 draft and has been dynamite ever since. You look at all the highlights of him coming out of spring training, smooth as hell. And they did a good job of bringing him in, kind of gassing him up and talking to him. Um, you know, basically acting like they were going to give him the bad news that he was going back to AAA. And instead they pulled the rug out at the last minute. Cool moment there. And shortstop for the Yankees is one of those positions that we always use as sort of a general when we talk about prestige positions, you know, shortstop for the Yankees, quarterback for, you know, Notre Dame or something like that. That's a big deal. And so for a young player to franchise like that that has its face in Aaron Judge, got him signed after the monster year from last year, having a young guy come up at that spot that for so long was manned by a guy like Derek Jeter, who Volpe will be the youngest Yankee shortstop since Derek Jeter debuted at 20 wow. in 1995 and only the second homegrown shortstop since Derek Jeter's retirement in 2014, along with Labor Torres. So big news in Yankee land there. Very cool moment for the young man. I'm, I'm excited, Mike, uh, to go back to Deion Sanders. He earned it. Uh, 275 minor league games, 50 home runs, 89 stolen bases. Uh, if you know anything about New Jersey, you know Dale Barton is is one hell of a school out in Morristown. Um, so I, I'm excited for not that the Yankees need more narratives, especially with Aaron Judge uh, waiting and then signing and uh, doing all that stuff. I'm, I'm excited for another cool storyline to follow with the Yankees this season. Well, Brandon, let's finish up with the third, our last cool storyline. This one will make personal because while this weekend was tough on a couple of fronts, uh, Notre Dame men's and women's lacrosse both took the L to Virginia. Yes. The Notre Dame men's team had been ranked number one in the country. Saw cool shots in that game playing Virginia in South Bend of the football team and Marcus Freeman coming over after spring practice and supporting the guys, helping them with a rally in the third quarter. That was awesome. It was awesome. Notre Dame ultimately lost. I made a bet with our friend Macon over at the Greenlight Podcast with Chris Long. And so now I have to donate $100 to Virginia, uh, the school. 
and will now be inundated with their solicitations for donations in my email inbox for the rest of my life. And I'm going to have to uh, don some Virginia stuff uh, on the podcast here coming up. So got to make good on that. But Brandon, the good news, and I'm a man of my word and I'll do that. We'll have to get making on the podcast at some point here soon so he can gloat about his win. But the good news is Notre Dame fencing saved our weekend. They were the 2023 NCAA Fencing National Champion Sunday afternoon. It is the program's 13th national title, and they are the first team on campus to go back to back to back, the first three-peat on Notre Dame's campus ever. Brandon, you and I have known Notre Dame's been a fencing school for the longest time, but this just cements it. An absolute juggernaut of a program on campus and has been that way for a long time. Mike, as uh, a university that constantly puts a – Glowing number one up on Grace Hall when one of our teams is number one in the nation. Whenever we see it, and if you're not in the know, you're like, hey, what's going on? Right? You can constantly probably bet that fencing won again. And uh, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud to be a part of a university that handles such a sport in such a way. Yep. I mean, constantly sending folks to the Olympics and constantly adding hardware to the container. So congratulations to Notre Dame Fencing for setting the standard on that campus, as you always have. We appreciate you giving us something to smile about after a weekend. We're uh, between Notre Dame lacrosse, Notre Dame women's basketball, unfortunately losing in the Sweet 16 to Maryland. The rest of it wasn't feeling so sweet. If you had a sweet weekend and enjoy this podcast make sure you download subscribe rate review gojo leave us a five-star rating and a review and check us out on the DraftKings youtube channel under the gojo with michael and junior tab thanks so much boom money in the bank you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.